Good morning, everyone. It's a bright morning, huh? It's just wonderful. Um, my name is Solomon Abaki. I'm one of the pastors here at Midtown, if you're joining us for the first time. And it's just lovely to have all of us here. We've been looking at the series of School of Prayer. And today we're going to talk about, we look on to discernment. Can I use say discernment? Anyone who has never heard this word before? Don't, don't raise your hand. It's okay. <laughs> so when we're talking about discernment, we're just talking about decisions. Decisions. And our lives are surrounded by decisions every single place. And a question arises here. When was the last time you faced an incredible, important decision in your life? Don't answer me. Just answer yourself. Yeah. Maybe it was a career. Do I pursue a promotion or not? Should I look for another job? Should I get a job? Or financial decision that could potentially make or break your entire future? Maybe it was a family decision such as who to marry. So if you are here and you're looking forward, maybe you're in that place of just like, okay, I'm looking around. I have to make that decision. (laughs) Or if you've got children, how to train your children? How do you want to raise them up? And if you're a student here, maybe you have to decide what subject to take at school or what you want to do when you leave school. Maybe you're facing such a decision in your life right now as I'm talking. Maybe it's causing you stress and worries and anxieties. You've thought about it. You've talked to others about it. You've weighed the pros and you've weighed the cons as well. And the the deadline for the decision is looming. Maybe it's just like a month, two weeks, two days, one year. You've given yourself that. Imagine, however... If it wasn't just an important decision for your life or for your financial future or for your children's lives, but instead for the future of the whole world. Like we just read from the scripture here. Jesus was making a decision that has to affect the whole world, the entire world. Imagine if your decision would determine the future of every single person on the face of the planet. Talk about Jesus having to face that. The eternal future of people. Do you know what kings and priests, I mean, sorry, kings and presidents, they do make such decisions. Should we go for war? Should we not go for war? Key decisions that affect their nations. But now, Jesus, you will see, key decisions that will affect the whole entire universe. You know what? Jesus needed to make an important decision in today's gospel about which of the disciples he should choose to become his apostles. There are so many disciples, people who are following him. But out of all those in hundreds, he had to make a decision to just select 12. And these guys, when you look at the disciples, if you are to choose with your own naked eye, but not with the inner eye, you will say, no way. Simon Peter, the guy will deny me just to be my disciple. Judas, the one who betrayed me, you know. John and James, 
the Bible called them sons of thunder, whereby if people are not hearing the gospel, they just say, let the Lord strike those guys. You want such people to follow you? Matthew, the tax collector, the guy who was always on the toes of people and representing the government of Roman, you know, and swindling the Jewish. I mean, will you choose kind of such kind of disciples really to follow you? So he had to make an important decision. How should he prepare them for their mission? How will they carry on his ministry when he died? What if he made the wrong decision by selecting the wrong men? And me as Solomon, I think there was a debate ongoing here between Jesus and the Father and God the Father. Why? Because when he looked at all that list, no wonder the Bible says it it took him a whole night praying. A whole night praying so that he could get a decision from this. There were practical decisions to be made. How many apostles he needed? How will they carry on his ministry? And all that. Given that Christ was going to entrust the truth of his ministry and the health and the well-being of the Christian church into the hands of these 12 men, the selection was critical. Talk about pressure. Have you ever been in such kind of a pressure? By, you know it's very critical. Jesus had to. It was more critical. And you might be in the middle of a big decision right now as I'm speaking. And you're wondering, Solomon, how should I handle this? What's the right answer? Where do I turn for help? Whom do I turn to? I want us to just look on what Jesus did before he made a big decision. One of the things we know that Jesus had a lot in his mind in terms of decision making. But he didn't sort through the decision making process all by himself. The example how Jesus handled this very important decision is probably the best advice we could ever receive. On the right way to make a good decision in our own lives too as well. You know, most of us, when we are looking forward to make decisions of life, or we want to discern what's God's will for my life, everyone asks themselves, what is his will concerning my career? What is his will concerning a family? What is his will concerning where to live? Which church to? I, I guess everyone who came and has been part of Hope Midtown, there was a decision that you had to make. I believe so. Like, is Hope Midtown the right place that God wants me to? Or any other place? There were some critical decisions that you make in regard to your spiritual growth as well. And you, you realize that many of us go to so many different people. Like our family members. We go to friends and co-workers to ask their opinion on what we should do. The very first place we turn to should be to turn to God in our prayers. And yet, he is often the last one to be consulted. For example, if I want to make a decision concerning what I need to do next, I will go to Nico and ask him, Nico, what do you think? And of course, Nico will tell me in regard to the way he sees things, the way he perceives things. And I may 
find myself going that direction on how I perceive things. And maybe I might miss that. But if I go to God first, then God will give me an instruction. He'll tell me, okay, don't go to Nico. Go to, uh, he's my friend, that's what I'm saying. Go to Howard. <laughs> and he will be very truthful to me because I went to God first. I'm using Nico because he's a good friend of mine, yeah? And Howard too. So you realize sometimes if we could have just gone to God and asked him, you know, and then he would direct, he would give me a nudging, like, okay, take Howard for lunch. And as you guys talk, maybe there's a word we will tell you, and that will really enlighten you on your path. Everyone seems to have their own agenda or see the world from the perspective of how it affects them. But God does not have any such selfish interest. He's not a biased God. No. He doesn't have ulterior motives. He will tell you if it's black, it's black. If it's white, it's white. If it's colored, it's colored. And that's how you're supposed to take it. God, our Father, always wants the best for us. He always wants the right thing for our ultimate good. But you know, our fallen nature will not accept that. Because sometimes God gives us something and we say like, no. Ah, no, I don't think so. I, I need a second opinion. <laughs> yeah, and second opinion will always take us out of track as God will really want us to step in. And this takes me to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. If you can help us there. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 to 2, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies. Whenever we say, when the Bible speaks about presenting our bodies, it means presenting our all faculties, our mind, our will, our emotions. We present them, you know, as a living sacrifice. Do you know the best person who did this is Jesus Christ? He presented his entirety. As a living sacrifice on the altar. And it was well pleasing to God. But you know we as human beings. It's very hard to be put on the altar as a living sacrifice. You want to run away. There are some of the things when God tells you. say like no, 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 no. That's not meant for me. No. That's meant for Stanley. Not me. I don't think I will be able to handle that. But that's, what, that's the path that God wants to take you through. And if you cooperate with him, there's something that happens. So he says, present ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and well-pleasing to God. It pleases God, our Father, when we present our whole faculty, our mind, our emotions, our will, and we just present them there. Because it is an act of worship. It's part of worship. And when we do that, we will not be conformed to the patterns of this world. That is, the values and customs of this world. The only way that we cannot find ourselves conforming to the pattern of this world is when we present our whole faculty as an act of worship unto our God. And then the Bible says, then there is a transformation that takes place. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When I'm speaking about being transformed, is not an instant thing. It's not like putting things on a pressure cooker and then everything is ready. But it's a progressive thing. It's a progress. We're in a journey. We are being changed from strength to strength, from glory to glory. Until we attain maturity where God wants us to. 
And then once we attain that maturity, we are able to prove. We are able to test. We are able to discern. You see the process? And most of us, we don't want that process to take place in our lives. But that's the way God wants us to take the process. We are able to prove, to discern, to test that which is good, acceptable will of God. Perfect. That is in his plan and purpose for us. So you want to know the purpose and plan for, for God concerning your life? That's the step. We're being called in that place. You know what? The Bible does not tell us which person that we're going to marry. The Bible didn't tell me I'm going to marry my wife, Catherine. It was not written in the Bible like, oh, Solomon, you're going to... Anyone who are here that has experienced that? Or you're going to relate to this lady or this guy? No. Or which car to buy? Anyone with a car here? No, definitely. The Bible didn't tell you go and buy Honda. <laughs> no way. Or whether to own a home or whether to take, where to take your vacation next. If it's Kenya, you're very much welcome to Kenya. If it's Kenya, for example. Or what cell phone to buy or which brand of juice to drink if you are a lover of juice? The Bible does not tell you that. And so many things. What is necessary is that we have a renewed mind. That's what we're being called. A renewed mind that is so shaped and so governed by the revealed will of God in the Bible. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says that no eye has seen. No ear has heard. No mind has known. It has not entered in the heart of man what God has prepared. But by his spirit, he's revealed his plan to those who love him. So there's a relationship here. We want to know and discern the revealed will of God. We have to connect with Jesus. We have to. That's what we have been called. And connecting renews us. How do we connect with Jesus? We connect with Jesus through his word. The word became flesh, the Bible says. The word, Jesus, and it dwelt amongst us. So when I partake of Jesus, Revelation says that Jesus is the word of life. So when I take of him, life springs forth from my life. And I'm able to discern well. And when I talk about that, it means that there's very different thing when I Look at the revealed will of God in the Bible. I'm able to assess all relevant factors with the mind of Christ and discern what God is calling me to do. Most of us are asking themselves, maybe you're, you're already in Christ, you know Jesus Christ, and you, you're asking yourself, what is really God calling me to do in this life? Or maybe you've not known the Lord and you're in this place, and you don't know, like, okay, what is my purpose here in this life? World, we are being taken back to what God wants us to do. There is a world of differences between praying and laboring for a new mind that discerns how to apply God's word on one hand and the habit of asking God to give us a revelation of what to do on the other hand. So there are two key things here. Number one is praying and laboring for a renewed mind. By submitting to God. And the other side is praying for revelation of God. 
Ask the Holy Spirit. Because it's only the Holy Spirit. The Bible says the Holy Spirit searches the deeper things of God. The spirit of man, still the Bible says, is a, is a lamp unto the Lord. It searches the deeper things of man. So when my spirit is connected with God's spirit, I'll be able to begin to know what God wants concerning my life. And I'll be able to make sound judgment. God's aim is a new mind, a new way of thinking and judging. That's God's way. Not just new information. Right now, if you want any information, you go to Google. <laughs> you find. So, for example, someone go, can go and Google discernment. They have new information <laughs> and they get that. But God's way is not about new information. It's about transformation. Transformation of the mind. The mind is the battleground. This is where spiritual war takes place. But the only way to win that war is have a renewed, a sanctified mind. The Bible says that Jesus, when he made a prayer to us as believers in John 17, 17, he said, sanctify them by your truth. Set them apart for your purpose because your word is truth. The only thing that sanctifies this mind, that the thought that we have is the truth. And when we have the truth, the truth sets us free. When we have the truth of what God says about us and the things that he wants to fulfill in our lives, it, it brings about freedom. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. We are no longer subject to the yoke of oppression, of slavery. But when we allow his word to continually cleanse our, the impurity in our mind, it makes us to see a clear picture. No matter how busy you get and how many other pressures are on you, if you don't stop to pray, you won't have the wherewithal to make good decisions. Prayer is very key. It's very important to make sound judgment, to make good decisions. That's what we see in Jesus. He went on the top of the mountain to pray before he made a choice. You won't be prepared to choose well when the decisions are needed. If you don't pray, you need to keep your wisdom sharp. And you do that by praying. And ask us a question here. To whom do we pray to? Everyone will say, are we pray to God? But let me ask you a second question. Is prayer a dialogue or a monologue? What do we think? Is it a dialogue or a monologue? Yeah, it's a dialogue. But most of us, we know it on our head. But practically, we don't live it. It's like, I have prayer requests. I go to God and just thrust them. And then I run away. It's like when you are relating with someone. For example, with my wife. If I just go and tell her, like, you know, I want you to help me do one, two, three, and then I leave. Have I gotten my answer? I need to hear back from her. Like, no, no, now you need to do this and that and that. And that's where God wants us. In a place whereby we are conversing with him. We're not taking God as an ATM machine that we just put and, and you get the money out. No, he wants a relationship. Most of the time, the reason why God gives us answers step by step, not literally everything, is because he wants to build a relationship. He's not just concerned by answering what we are bringing forth, but building a relationship. You remember the ten lepers, if you've read. The ten lepers who were healed by Jesus, nine of them never returned. Only one returned to give thanks to God. And they missed it. They, meet, they missed the wholeness that they could have experienced from Jesus. 
And that's where we're being called. Not just to be answering our prayers, but as we relate with our Lord, there's an inner transformation that takes place. So as I approach God and I'm dialoguing with him, there is a way he responds to me. And there's a way I build relationship with him as well. And that we see from Jesus here. One of the things I've realized and I've heard from people, people say prayer changes things. But not really. Prayer changes Solomon. When I pray, it changes me. Why? Because as I'm praying, I begin to see with the perspective, with the eye of faith, with the eye of God. So I no longer see things naturally as people see, but I see them supernaturally, being led by the Holy Spirit. And then when I see that it is God's will for me to face this circumstance, for me to go through this circumstance, my faith is stirred up. You remember the three Hebrew boys? If you've read Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, these guys were being thrust into the fiery furnace. What did they say to the king? Oh, king, we will not bow down. And even if the Lord doesn't come and rescue us, we will still not bow down. Their faith was stirred because they had a relationship with him. Their prayer was not like, Lord, deliver us from here. They just say, even if we are to go through it, our faith has been stirred. So prayer changes me. And once it changes my perspective, I can be able to go through the path that God is taking me with faith. My faith stirred up. So faith is the thing that changes stuff. But prayer changes me. It works on me. It transforms me. It renews me. John chapter 15 verse 7 says, If you remain in me, or if you abide in me, and my words remain in you, that is, if we are vitally united with him. That's what Jesus is saying. If you are vitally united with me, and my message lives in your heart. There's one thing to just abide by being vitally united, but there's another thing to allow his message, his truth to speak to your heart. And this gives me a, a perfect image. You can just put that image of a vine. It gives me an image of a, a vine there that the branch is attached directly to, to a tree trunk and it produces fruit. It doesn't say like, I want to produce oranges. I want to produce grapes. You're not putting a red face. No, it doesn't put a red face. But it's just vitally united with the tree trunk. All the nutrients that the tree gets, it goes to the branch and it produces fruit. So where where is God calling us? He's calling us to just be united with me. Be united with the truth that I'm telling you. Get hold of my message. Let Let my message live in your heart. And it says, when I do that, it says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. You may ask Solomon, you mean whatever I wish? Yeah, but the condition is, first and foremost, being vitally united with Jesus and allowing his message to live in your heart. First John chapter 5, verse 14 to 15 says, this is the confidence which we as believers have before him, that if we ask Anything. It doesn't say some things. It says, if you ask anything, and the condition is here, according to his will, that is 
consistent with his plan and purpose. We can, the only way we can ask anything is when it is consistent with God's plan and purpose. Then he hears us. And if we know for a fact that he hears us and listens to us in whatever we ask, we also know with absolute settlement and knowledge that he grants our request, that which we ask of him. When we look at the life of Jesus, his method of decision making is that his prayer was not just, please help me, Lord. And most of us were there. Oh, please help me, Lord. And then throw it to God and run away. No. He was serious about praying and waiting for God for the answer, for wisdom to make the decision. The decision. He actually spent all night. How many of us, when we have big decisions that we need to make in life, will want to spend more time with God? Or are we just in a rush like, Lord, you know, I just cast it there and go. And forget about it. How long do you spend praying about the decision of your life? And this is a challenge to me, I've realized as well. When I was preparing for this message, God has to work in my life and tell me, Solomon, how long do you seek me? When you love someone, you long to be with them. Is it so? You're always looking forward to call them, find out how they are doing. But when you come to God, our fathers, like, we only come when we need. But there is no relationship. There is no love toward him. And that's where he's calling us. Jesus knew how to minister to his father. He could segregate, leave others. In fact, the Bible says that he left the multitude and went to a solitude place, to the mountaintops, to ask and seek God. And that's where we're being called by him. Some of the famous Christians throughout history were great prayers. That is why I think they were so very much influential. Because they learned the power of prayer. You see, prayer is the deadliest weapon we have at our disposal, but also the greatest source of sustenance for our daily lives. Prayer will sustain us. We need it. No wonder when the disciples came to Jesus, they, they never asked Jesus, Lord, teach us how to preach. Lord, teach us how to make miracles, do miracles, and do wonders. No, they asked them, they ask him one thing, Lord, teach us how to pray. Because they knew, they saw the life of Jesus and his life when he was doing miracles and walking in signs and wonders, it was due to prayer. Because they knew when they connect with, when he connected with the Father, the, the others were just following him. And that's where we're being called. To help us discern well, have proper sound judgment of of stuff that we are struggling with. Look at Martin Luther uh, King here. He said, Martin Luther said, I am so busy that if I did not spend three hours each day in prayer, I could not get through the day. That, until today we are talking about him. Prayer changed him. He knew the importance of effectivity in praying. And one thing I notice about Jesus' prayer life is that he prayed in solitude. He went up to a hill to a quiet place away from the noise and the people who were desperate to benefit from his healing power. He went away from those who seek to pressure him 
more. He got away from the daily grind and the commitments and went to where he could focus on one thing alone. God. Praying through the busiest parts of the day is very good. Don't get me wrong. But we need to set aside specific times for quiet meditation on God. Let's look at this three, uh, three, uh, three example. Look at King David in Psalm chapter 5 verse uh, 7. It says, evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud. He shall hear my voice. Imagine, this is the king of all Israel. He has time. Morning, evening, at noon. We are not king already. We are not in that capacity. But we, we, we say we don't have time. It's a challenge for us. Because he needed to make big, major decisions in his life. And he knew, for me to make proper sound judgment, I need to spend time with my father. Look at Daniel. Daniel also a commissioner in Great Babylon. This guy, he says, now when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he went to his house. Now in his roof chamber, windows were open towards Jerusalem. He continued to get down on his knees. Three times a day. Praying and giving thanks before his God as he's been doing previously. It was a habit. We can take a perfect example from these guys. And you can take a perfect example too where you're working. You need proper sound judgment in decision making, spending time with God. Let's look at Jesus himself, our savior. John chapter 5 verse 19. To 20, so Jesus answered them by saying, I assure you most solemnly say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, meaning of his own accord, unless it is something he sees the father doing. How was he seeing the father doing? Because they had a relationship. Let me tell you an example. My son's name is David. And so when I tell David to, when I tell him to do some things, he might not do them. But I find him doing what he sees me do. Because we're in a relationship. We are working together. We do stuff together. And so he copies me. He emulates me. And Jesus used to do this. And so when he was making sound judgment, it's because of his relationship with the father. That's why he says, I only do that which I see my father is doing. We have been calling that place. How do we discern the will of God, the purpose of God? It's by having relationship with him. And you might be here and maybe you do not know the Lord. This is the best place to be as we are speaking. Getting to know Jesus. And once you know him, building that relationship, looking forward. David was saying, my soul longs for you in a dry and weary land. I will say to this day, my soul longs for you in a place I don't know what I need, what kind of decision I need to make. But I can only make them when I come to your sanctuary. David said, to see your power and your glory in your sanctuary because your loving kindness is better than life. We should long for God more than anything in this world. Because as we long for him, he reveals himself to us. It continues to say, for whatever things the father does, the son in his turn also does the same way. For the father loves the son and shows him everything. Not something. He shows him everything. 
and he will show him greater works than this so that you will fill with wonder. Jesus said John 4:34 My food is to do the will of him who sent me and complete live finish his work. That is his food. What is our food? We are being called our food is to do the will of God. Simple. We've been calling that place. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The word of God helps me to make decision for now. A lamp unto my feet and also decision for the future. A light unto my path. And that's why we need to eat of this, partake of this word of God. Most of us, we know how to work for the Lord. We are very good in working for the Lord. Like, I'm working for the Lord. But are we ministering to the Lord? Do we minister to him? Do we worship him in our private? Do we just come and express praise to him? I believe when we do that, it kind of builds a powerful relationship. Whereby we are not just doing stuff, but doing stuff comes naturally, supernaturally because of my relationship with the one that has called me. Just like the fruit the branch connected with the trunk and produces fruit. When you minister to the Lord, he gives you a blueprint of what he has set forth for you. That's what happens. When you begin to minister to him, he speaks. The Holy Spirit begins to guide you. The Holy Spirit begins to lead you. Proverbs chapter 16 verse 3 says, Commit your works to the Lord. Submit and trust them to him. And your plans will succeed if you respond to his will and guidance. That's where we've been called. We want our plans to succeed. We need to respond to his will and guidance. And our plans will succeed. We need to be responsive. And let me tell you, the Lord will interrupt you. He will interrupt your normal days. Because he's got something to tell you and he wants your undivided attention. Sometimes the voices that are around us, that are gadgets, they speak so much louder than the voice of God. And God is just nudging your heart like Solomon, like Samuel, the boy. Solomon, this moment, I want to speak to you. It's like, ah, it's still too early. Let me just cover myself. I enjoy this blanket. It's winter time. Lord, you understand it's winter. But he wants to speak that time. Like, I want to tell you something right now. Wake up. And maybe there's someone here that God is telling you, wake up. I want to speak to you. Because whatever I have will determine the purposes that unfold in your life. You may ask yourself, why at this hour? God... You know me, you could have just come in the evening. Why, why this hour, this early, 4 a.m., 3 a.m.? <laughs> and maybe as I'm talking, there's someone here that you're experiencing that. You think maybe because you, 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 you drank a lot of coffee. No, it's not about coffee. <laughs> no, no, God just wants to minister to you. And he says, wake up. The Bible tells us, wake up, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. He says, I want to shine on you this moment. Wake up. Why is God doing that? Because we are getting old. We're not getting any younger. And time is running out. And he wants to fulfill some things in our life. 
That's why he's calling us. And the, the thing is this, you cannot do it on your own. No way. You need Christ who died for your sins. We need Christ who died for our sins. We can't. And that's why Jesus say, he's not doing it in his own accord. No, it's through him. We need the Holy Spirit to lead us into Christ's exalting truth and to work in truth, embracing humility. We have to give ourselves to this. We have to immerse ourselves in the written word of God. Saturate our mind with it and pray that the spirit of Christ will make us anew to discern that which is good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. I want to just rise up on our feet right this moment. As I invite the worship team. And maybe as I was speaking here, God was ministering to you as well. And you may have been here and you thought it was just coffee that make me not to sleep. Or maybe it was my neighbor interact, uh, interrupting me by hitting the wall in my apartment. No. God can use anything to want your attention. And the question that I'm, I have here, maybe you can help me with that slide there. There's some questions here that I have for us. And maybe you might be in this spot. Like, has your Bible study been rather dry recently? Maybe in that category. Or are you longing for a reawakening? Or has your fellowship being with the Lord become a bit barren of late? Maybe you're in a place of multitude of decisions today. Or this season, is your soul somehow patched by the cares of life or challenges around you today? You may be here and maybe one of those questions is just lingering in your heart. One of the things we can do to the Lord is just to minister to Him. You know? And one way of ministering is to completely surrender to Him. Surrendering in our hearts. Like I began Romans chapter 12. Presenting all our faculties. Everything within us. And so I want us in this place, can we just stretch our hands to God? Both of our hands. That just means a sign of surrender. That Lord, everything I am, I give it all to you. As I invite the prayer team, uh, some will be on the right side and some will be on the left side. As we still ponder those questions, but in a place of complete surrender. Lord, you know our hearts. Lord, you know my heart. You know where I struggle with, Lord. You know where we struggle with. You know the things that are around our minds that keep on bothering us and we're not finding solutions. And you might be here as I'm saying that. It still bothers your mind. You keep going round in circles. But the Lord is saying, I'm here. I'm here. And I want you to just be in a place of waiting and listening to me and taking my instruction and just walking in the truth that sanctifies the truth that sets the mind free. If you're that person that I mean is just being bothered by going in circles, even as we'll worship, as time goes by, you'll either come on the right side to just be prayed for in this place. If you're that person that you feel like, Lord, I don't know which next step I need to take right this moment. 
But the best thing I can do is just to completely give it to you, Lord. And take the path that you want me to take. 